In this episode, I talk with Dee Goins, who is one of the co-founders of Zora. Dee has been on the pod before, but this episode was truly super fun. Um, we talk about minting as a new medium. We talk about why it matters for crypto economic incentive structures to mirror human behavior as opposed to create Ponzi's. And Dee also mentions um, something really interesting or that, that resonated a lot with me about why people create on the internet. I think um, oftentimes when we talk about the creator economy and other things, there's this sort of underlying assumption that people create things on the internet to make money and that there's this like financial motive behind it. And Dee um, talks about how there have actually been um, studies and, and empirical research that shows that that's actually sort of one of the last things that people care about. And so um, it's, of course, very interesting in this context of thinking about um, how crypto can help um, empower creativity on chain um, and the sort of tension and relationship between um, creating things and also this like weird financial incentive that crypto has inherent to almost all of its tooling. Um, and so that really resonated with me, but it also, um, you know, made me think, okay, well, what does this podcast look like? And what does it look like to create in this space? And something that I think has been in the back of my mind for a while is that the way that I do the podcast is very web two. You know, we use web two distribution mechanisms. Um, I don't have anything that's on chain for the pod except for Gitcoin grants from, from, you know, two years ago. And so I have been in the back of my mind sort of thinking, okay, what is the right way to bring this on chain? And, you know, when the 10K PFP trend happened and people did different social tokens, I, I sort of stayed away from that from the podcast perspective because nothing quite felt right. Nothing quite felt aligned with my values. Um, but I am super excited to share that alongside this episode and a sort of an announcement with this episode, um, on the other side is going to start doing open editions on Zora. So these will be free mints. Every single episode has um, a free mint associated with it, an NFT associated with it. The audio files will be on chain so you can listen to them on any platform you want, whether it's Web 2 or Web 3. Um, and I'm super excited. I think this is not only a really special moment for the podcast more broadly and really marking um, a, a sort of new chapter of bringing it on chain, but I also think it's a really important moment of reflection. You know, the podcast has been through lots of, of changes and um, we're coming up on 100 episodes and I First of all, just want to say thank you to everyone who listens to the podcast, um, people who share it, people who um, message me with sort of thoughts and feedback. I cannot tell you how much it means to me and how much I appreciate you. Um, and I'm really excited to be bringing this on chain. So there will be a link in the show notes where you can mint the podcast episodes all the way up until this episode, which is the 94th. And then every episode following this episode will have a link in the show notes with the latest episode um, minting link on Zora. So again, truly can't tell you how excited I am for this next step, this this next on-chain chapter. And yeah, let's hop into the show with Dee, where we talk about why all of this stuff matters. I am here with Dee from Zora. Dee, I think this is your second or third time on the pod, so I'm very excited to have you back. Yeah, it's my second. Thanks for having me again. As always, Zora is up to interesting things. So I'm very excited <laughs> to chat about that. Um, I feel like Zora over the last couple of years has done a ton of interesting experiments in the space around what it means to create on chain. Um, mm -hmm. Usually I would do like history of you and how you got down the crypto rabbit hole. I kind of want to change things up a little bit. And I would love to hear a history of Zora. Oh, cool. 
yeah, I'll try to, it's been three years already, which is crazy. Um, I'll try to blitz through it really quick and then we can talk about some of the fun things we've been building, um, particularly this summer um, and to close out the year. But we started in the spring of 2020, I'd like to say that we were born in the darkness of COVID. Um, we spent our first year really hacking at physical goods. And so we sold sneakers or prints or puzzles or toys on bonding curves. Uh, so not too dissimilar from like the Uniswap bombing curves that sort of led to the crazy DeFi summer run. We were selling sneakers using those same sort of mechanics um, and they were going crazy. The business was super successful for like the first three or four months, but we noticed that there was a trend of artists that typically made physical goods quickly taking to NFTs and digital mediums as a way for them to lower uh, you know, logistics costs and management burdens and fulfillment and like all of the things that require sort of production and distribution from the physical side, they didn't have to do those things when they were making digital media or, or, you know, sharing their stuff on chain. And so we saw a lot of photographers, we saw a lot of painters and physical artists quickly jump over to NFTs in the winter of 2020. And so we made a decision to pivot with them. And then in the winter, of, I guess like January of 2021, we launched the Zora protocol. Uh, it was invite only for a while. Uh, it was hardcore on-chain. We're very much like on-chain maxis. And so there was no gasless minting. There was no fiat payments. Uh, you were doing everything directly onto the Ethereum blockchain, which was radical at a time where Nifty Gateway was doing fiat payments and open editions and Foundation was running it up on auctions. And so it was a, it was a much different market back in the uh, early 2021 days. So we did the marketplace protocol for most of 2021 um, and through a lot of 2022. But in the, I guess, same time, like January of 2022, uh, we discovered the open editions format. We actually had built a tool called just the editions tool uh, for Pool Suite, who sold like $2 million worth of editions in like 20 minutes or something like that. It was absolutely insane. They were the Pool Suite membership NFTs. And uh, after we saw the success of that, we were like, yo, this is probably... <laughs> this is probably the business. It really works. Um, and so we ran it back on a generative drop with James Jean. Uh, it was a fairly complicated drop, a lot of different allow lists and stuff, which informed a lot of the tools that we built later that year. But the drop was super successful. We sold $7.5 million worth of NFTs across like four days. Uh, James Jean was extremely excited about it. The Outland art team was excited about the collaboration. It was a big success. And so with those two proof points, we decided to go all in on the open editions model and sort of the primary market creator tooling side versus the secondary market trader side. Um, and we've been building at that, you know, for the last 18 months or so. Um, we built a lot of stuff for that throughout 2022, making the Zora Creator Toolkit our primary product, uh, zora.co slash create. You can check it out now. Um, and then started to add different ways that you could mint media, uh, photography, 3D objects, HTML files, PDFs, you name it. If there was a, a file type that you wanted to bring on chain, um, our creator toolkit sort of facilitated that. And then in the summer of this year, I mean, since then, we've actually helped, I think it's like tens of thousands of creators um, to mint their first NFTs, mint on chain, earn on chain. I think we've reached well over a million unique collectors, which has been pretty insane. Uh, there's like hundreds of thousands of people who use the website uh, every month. Uh, it's really it's really starting to pick up steam. It's been very exciting to see. And so now we've been working on making that experience cheaper, faster, and more rewarding for people. 
And so this summer we launched free creation. So the ability to create without needing gas uh, dramatically lowered the barrier to entry for new artists. Um, we also launched our own L2, the Zora network, which has reduced the cost to mint by like 30x um, on the collector side, as well as just helped us to onboard all types of amazing platforms and teams onto what we're thinking is like the uh, the canonical NFT chain, if you will. That's sort of the goal. Um, we also launched Protocol Rewards, which is a new way for creators and ecosystem participants to earn from Zora, which has been really exciting. Since launching Rewards in August, we've paid out, I think it's like 1,030 ETH or like 1,100 ETH or something like that in rewards to ecosystem participants. This includes platforms that are distributing Zora Mints. It includes creators, most importantly, who are bringing their work on chain. Um, as well as collectors who are helping to bring work on chain through this novel concept we have called the first mentor reward. And so, um, yeah, we've just been trying to go deeper and deeper on our creator toolkit, uh, make both our platform protocol, um, as well as just the space a bit more approachable, uh, by showcasing some more human elements and focusing on the creators and trying to make the whole ecosystem more sustainable with protocol rewards. So that's like the five minute blitz history of Zora and uh, what we've been up to this summer. Yes, I love the evolution. Um, I want to talk a little bit about protocol rewards because I feel like it was one of the first experiences um, for me that started to feel like I could see how people would get into the ecosystem as creators. Like, I think <clears throat> something that Frentech, <laughs> as annoying <laughs> as it is to continue referencing Frentech, <laughs> something that it does feel like Frentech got right as a consumer application is you didn't need to, um, you didn't really, you, you basically can experience a free app and get ETH in the process. Um, yeah. Obviously Twitter cloud and other things like matter there, which is annoying and not totally transferable for most consumers. But I do think that proved something in my head at least, which was basically that experiences that mirror the current economics of the internet, i.e. free, um, but they get <laughs> ETH in the hands of people feels like a really powerful combo. And I feel like yeah. protocol rewards do something similar, which for people who are not familiar is that free mints um, technically have like a very small protocol fee and 44% of that fee goes to the creator themselves. And so you, you actually get this like reward on top of what feels like a free offering to um, your audience, mm -hmm. your community, whatever. And so I'm curious how that came about. Like what was the thinking there? Um, yeah. Let's start there. Yeah. So Earlier this year, so winter of 2023, we were doing, um, we were running a program called like the Creator Fund. Uh, it's sort of like a stealth program in which we were working with artists to like help them bring their work on chain. We'd help to cover things like gas fees or maybe we would commission a cool artist. Uh, just generally speaking, like trying to collaborate and work with artists, provide them with some value for the work that they were bringing on chain, give them some added marketing and distribution, maybe even make like a short film about it, which we did with like Jack Butcher and some other people throughout the space. Um, th that model was pretty, just generally speaking, cost intensive, like to be completely candid, like it's just difficult. I mean, you're seeing teams right now, right? Like Avalanche is spending like 50 plus million dollars on artist acquisition, right? Optimism is giving away, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars through the, we love the art campaign, you know, based at something similar with their distribution in one chain summer, like winning 
the most valuable audience in the space, which is really like the artists themselves. They're kind of like the energy suppliers to this, you know, additions ecosystem um, is hotly contested, super competitive. And so we wanted to come up with an expansive, positive sum economic model in which we wouldn't have to continuously, um, you know, dole out cash or try to compete with teams that had hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank to spend. Um, we needed a positive sum economic model in order to retain um, and provide value to the artists that were using the protocol. And so we came up with protocol rewards actually in like April of 2023. Uh, it was like a memo called creator rewards that just had like this cool, like Gen Z image in it. And then basically, <laughs> basically ran through all of the, um, upsides of protocol rewards and how it could expand distribution by giving platforms a slice of the fee. It could expand our creator acquisition by giving creators a nice way that they could earn without really selling out or charging their collectors. Uh, really like Zora was sort of taking on the bad guy role, if you will, of like inserting the fee there, but it's actually a fee that benefits the creators and the platforms that are helping to distribute the media as well as introducing new rewards like the first mentor reward. And so Today, if you create for free on Zora, you don't have to pay any gas. Uh, it's gas-free uh, creation. But in order for that work to come on chain, like somebody has to actually pay gas. Uh, and so in this case, it would be the first minter. And so the first person who collects that media and brings it on chain, they actually pay the gas to deploy the additions contract on chain. But they get um, an added benefit of rewards in the form of .00111 ETH um, for every subsequent mint after them. And so if they bring the work on chain and then it winds up going viral, they actually have, um, they actually are able to earn rewards from helping them bring that viral media on chain. Um, and so we introduced some new concepts like that and we're blown away by the response and just how uh, expansive the model really became. There's a website called this tracks Zora rewards.com. I think is the name of the website. Uh, yeah, literally this website tracks rewards on Zora.com um, that tracks all of our rewards. And we were blown away by the amount of like referrers we saw, platforms we saw spin up. It was actually pretty amazing how many teams were excited to build on top of Zora thanks to this like positive sum economic model. And then on top of that, just creators are getting paid. Like part of our core mission is to help creators make more money. Um, I, I feel like that's what a lot of the superpower of minting and bringing your work on chain does outside of, you know, creating a new medium of expression, like you actually can just make way more money. And we saw creators making way more money with uh, protocol rewards than they were before. Um, some people shock, like, I think we had one creator, zero uh, X light, light.eat for those who know him on Twitter. Um, I, I think he posted like a based like meme and it went absolutely crazy. I think man's made like $30,000 and was like, I'm terrified. <laughs> that is um, also light was on yeah. the pod several episodes ago. So people want to yeah. get a little vibe on some of their work. Um, He's good people. Uh, or they're good people. Um, yeah. So I think people were blown away by the, the positive economic impact that this had. We've had creators who are tweeting at us that, you know, this has helped them pay their rent. This has helped them buy pizzas for lunch. This has helped save marriages. It got one guy and his family out of Syria. The stories are insane. The stories are insane. I've been having sort of a Brian Armstrong Coinbase moment of like, you know, uh, economic mobility and, uh, you know, uh, more economic freedom as a result of putting your media on chain, which is pretty crazy. And then to your point earlier around Frentech and 
the accessibility of like this new wave of consumer apps. Thanks to free creation on Zora plus protocol rewards, you can effectively onboard to Ethereum with your imagination. Uh, so like all you need to do is upload your imagination and earn ETH on the Zora protocol and you're able to onboard to Ethereum. Um, that's pretty groundbreaking in many ways where you typically had to onboard. If you think about historically, you onboarded with like fiat or computing power or, uh, you know, whatever other things, a, a Coinbase account that got you into the door. Now I can go to Zora.co. I can post a picture, a meme, a funny video. Uh, it costs me nothing in order to post it. If somebody likes it and it goes viral, I'm now getting paid almost like 80 cents a minute. Uh, that's, that's pretty impactful. And so, uh, yeah, the ability to onboard to Ethereum with just your imagination is, uh, is magic, really. Uh, and so we started to call Zora this like magic machine that is uh, you upload your imagination, you earn Ethereum, and it's it's literally that easy. Yeah, I want to talk about upload your imagination and like minting as this medium that feels new and exciting. Before we do that, something that feels to me, I think most exciting about this. And one of the reasons that I think Zora is doing some of like truly candidly, some of the most interesting stuff in the space right now is that I think that this sort of tying together of um, creators and people who support them and this like first mentor reward and all of these things mm-hmm. almost like um, put into uh, the economics of this, like build in economics into something that already happens, but that is kind of a fucked up model in web two. I, I got to stop using <laughs> yeah. web two, but like whatever we want to call it, existing creator platforms where yeah. the, people who who like quote unquote discover new creators do have this sense of like wanting to get credit for it. So there are all these dynamics that mm-hmm. already exist, but they haven't, we haven't been able to tie them to real sustainable economics in any meaningful way exactly. really until now. And so I think part of the reason this gets me so excited is because a lot of what I've always felt like was wrong with these platforms is effectively this. And I've always mm-hmm. thought that ultimately it's the economic models that underpin these platforms that create these weird dynamics. And so um, being able to solidify them and make them sustainable mm-hmm. for creators to your point in a way that isn't like, here's a, you know, $50,000 grant government, everything on Zora instead, <laughs> yeah. it's here's a real way that you can build um, this sort of minting as a medium into your, um, into your living as a creator, into your community as a creator. And like, this is one of the first things that feels to me sustainable. So Wow, Very thank you. That is uh, That's really nice to hear. I mean, a lot of that was put into the memo too. I think we were looking at the economics of, you know, the YouTube partner program or the TikTok creator program or, uh, I mean, IG doesn't even really pay their creators like that. You got to go get brand partnership deals. We were looking at just how broken those economic models were and just like the, the overall lack of transparency there um, and figured there was like an opportunity for us to provide something that felt a bit more natural, form fit, and uh, to your point, sustainable for both the creators and the, the other platforms and participants in the ecosystem. And then, yeah, the natural behavior of being first, like how many people are commenting first on good content, right? Like a crazy viral YouTube video or a really dope TikTok, like first comment in before viral, like all of these natural behaviors um, are indicators that people do want to have some sort of clout or appreciation or like it pays to be early. And, the first mentor reward um, and also like the ability to comment. Like we built that this summer as well. Like when you mint, you can actually leave a comment 
um, for the creator. And so we actually see an entirely new platforms like tokenchat.co pop up where people are just building on top of the comments themselves. But um, yeah, being able to be first, show you were there, show you supported, and now have some sort of, you know, like incentive or upside in, in, in that is like really, really dope. Well, I mean, even when I think back, like this is just me being an annoying high schooler, but there was definitely a period of time where like everyone was in SoundCloud. And if you found a SoundCloud <laughs> yeah. first, you wanted to make sure everybody knew that to as a 17 year old, <laughs> I have no idea if this is yeah. legal, but as a 17 year old paid for that is like, that's, that's the perfect combination of things. That's the right? dream. My, my dream is like, you know, there's some 19 year old college kid that posts something that goes absolutely bonkers on Zora unexpectedly makes, you know, 10 ETH or something like that and takes all their friends out to the bar for dinner that night <laughs> on protocol rewards. Like that's actually like, I joke that I'm like, wow, if protocol rewards works really well. And if we can get Zora to internet scale, I mean, if anything gets to internet scale, it's great. Right. But if we can get Zora to internet scale, I'm like, maybe we just raise the Gen Z GDP. <laughs> 1, <laughs> like across the board. People are just getting paid more from for doing things that they already do on the internet because the economic models have been made apparent, available, and accessible. Right? Like, I think that would be amazing. Like, I've seen my, my sister's a pretty prominent TikToker, um, and I've seen sort of the grind that she had to go through in order to get her brand partnership deals and like really get going. But she's got content that's got millions and millions of views. You know, I'm like, oh wow, she probably could have been getting mad guap from just minting these. <laughs> like, like not having to go do advertising, not having to go do brand partnership deals, not having to do hashtag ad or any of that stuff just by putting your content on chain. You're not selling subscriptions. It's none of that. And when people engage, you get paid. That, that feels borderline revolutionary. So, um, yeah, I, I think if this actually works and gets to internet scale, we could see a lot more of those, you know, 17 and 19 year old kids who are, who are booming thanks to their crypto bags. I'm obsessed with raising the Gen Z GDP. That's a great line. Um, yeah, thanks. <laughs> I think the other thing that's interesting about some of that is you're introducing this thing around, you said it before we started recording, but like minting as a new medium. And so for her, you yeah. know, she might still use TikTok and that's fine. That's probably like a discovery mechanism, but um mm -hmm. But this is this new medium that feels like a much less roundabout way to get to um, being able to like have sustainable economics as a creator, probably engage yeah. with your audience or people who like your content or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, I know before we started recording, you were talking about like, you know, why do people mint? And I feel like this is kind of an open mm. question around like, why do people collect? And maybe that's the wrong question to be asking. But I do think mm. when I think about what does this mean for this to be sustainable? What does it mean to raise like the Gen Z GDP? Why people mint definitely feels like an open question in my mind. Is it the wrong yeah. question? Yeah. I, where do you stand on that? Uh, I just don't know if there's ever going to be one canon answer. Uh, this question came up in a conversation that I was having with Jacob and Tyson, my two co-founders uh, and the brand team yesterday. Uh, we were we were asking that exact thing. Why do people mint? And I was like, I actually don't know if minting or collecting is the it, to me, it's just engagement. Like right now, there's like one button to engage on chain content and it's the mint button. It's like the universal engagement button. What I think will happen over time is that that universal engagement button might get unbundled into lower stakes, lower cost interactions that you may have with media on chain. But for all intents and purposes today, 
the way that you like something, the way that you repost something, the way that you comment on something, the way that you engage media on chain today, it is to mint it. That is like a, the universal like button or, you know, the super like button uh, or like like plus support, uh, whichever way you want to describe it. So like asking why people are minting to me is akin to asking why people are, you know, liking Instagram photos or reposting tweets that they like or, you know, liking casts that they like on Warpcast. Like there is a almost innate human need to engage content <laughs> or to comment like it's like if i'm sitting next to a friend watching a tv show i'm like yo that was fucking crazy right like there's just like a need to engage and i think right now we've got very limited means of engagement with on-chain media it is the mint button and that's been bundled and sort of wrapped in this speculative aura around anything on-chain you know like people have made a lot of money off of additions and nfts and mints across the board and so i think that's sort of the historical context that is packed into minting in the present moment. But I think we're, we're moving away from that as people bring more diverse types of media on chain. And as we like start to treat this much more as like a pseudo social layer, you know, like Ethereum is sort of one big social network on chain media and NFTs are inherently social media to some extent. Uh, they're shared with everyone at the time of minting. Anyone on Ethereum can access it, right? Like it is default social. Um, but the way that we interact at that new social level, I think is what's going to change. So long story short, I don't think it's the wrong question. I just think it's like an unanswerable question to some extent. Uh, you know, we could probably write books and philosophize around why people collect things. I mean, there are, there's a ton of literature around it and I'm sure there's some like strong philosophies there, but to me, it's like people enjoy engaging content that they like. And it might be as simple as that. And if we allow it to be as simple as that and just bring amazing content on chain, Let's see what happens on the other side of that, you know. I, I do think there's something interesting about um, basically the philosophy being there are tons of reasons that people mint. And so it's just hard to pin it down in the same way that like people. Exactly. There are certainly moments where liking is just liking. But a lot of times there are all of these different motivations. And why like one person's mm. thing on Instagram might be totally different from why I like another. Like one is just to be like oh, I need to like acknowledge that I see my friend's thing and whatever. And I want, that's like a little yeah. micro interaction. Whereas other times I like something because I, I genuinely feel called to it or I want to bookmark it for later or whatever. But I love this idea that um, trying to boil down minting into one or two motivations is just like diluting the power of it or maybe trying to over explain it. Yeah. Insert bell curve meme. One hundred percent. You know, like I think there's a lot of people in the mid, the mid curve spot who are like, but why? Like the big minting, and I could just, bleh. and then on either side of the curve, it's just minting is good, mint because I like. <laughs> you know, like, like I actually think that's uh, that's sort of the phase we're in, and that that middle curve will forever be there. You know, like people will always be. I guarantee you, there will be some PhD uh, philosophy or anthropological sociological study 20 years from now on why the fuck people were minting these things called nfts right and like we'll have evolved way beyond that but like this will always be a discussion topic but at the end of the day i think either side of that bell curve they're actually winning because they're the people probably minting the most and they're the people who are engaging the most they're the people participating the most and like 
they're figuring it out empirically more than they are academically. Um, yes. So, that intellectually. To me, that to me is one of the most interesting things that I'm coming to realize. And this is kind of a roundabout, but um, something that has come up lately is a lot of this stuff against Facebook that's being brought on or like a bunch mm. of um, regulatory things going on with Facebook. And a lot of the question is like, how much did they encourage minors to be on the platform and all this stuff? Mm. And I've talked with several friends who work at Instagram, which is specifically what is being um sort of questioned here. Called into question, yeah. And one of the things that's become very clear is that, at least from their perspective, um, intent is typically assumed from the outside where people are like, oh, Facebook did this weird thing where they defaulted to the age that you needed to be on the platform to get um, Mm. underage users on Instagram, which is one Mm. way to look at it. The other way to look at it is they randomly were like, oh, when you default it to the age and you make it easier... This ends up um, user signups end up going up like this this Mm is interesting thing where we don't need to know basically why users do certain things. The real way to build a successful consumer application and probably applications more broadly is you experiment and focus on empirical like evidence of what works and what doesn't. And you don't try to over explain why it's the case. Of course, understanding why is, is valuable. But like you don't need to understand why in order to keep running these experiments. And of course, you know, I would say um, underage kids on Instagram is probably not good, but yeah, creators making money feels good. Um, and, and being able to yeah. get paid for what you're creating online feels good. And so in any case, I bring all of that back to say, I think there is this, this interesting thing in crypto where I feel like we want to understand why users do everything. Ultimately, sometimes I think that takes away from us being willing to just experiment and see what the hell happens and like keep running with stuff. And this kind of also exactly. like the decel versus um, acceleration thing, which is mm. just like, how much should we be pushing forward? But yeah, um, I think we should just always be as long as the contracts that you're interacting with are safe, audited, verified, like you got all of the necessary security boxes ticked. We should be testing and playing out with all the tools, you know, sort of early internet days. Like the how feels more important than the why, like less about why I should admit and more about how do I admit, like, how do they collect? Like, how do they discover this? Like, I think diving into the how and the mechanics of things, it actually might get you closer to the why. If you just start at the why, you're actually like starting at the furthest point away from like the the like spawn point of the detail which is really the how like the like how does this shit work and then maybe i'll figure out my why so it's less about figuring out like the public why and more about figuring out my why it's sort of like uh wow this is this is this is okay slightly out of left field it's kind of like um like the why mint is it's kind of like the whys of uh, this sounds so fucking weird of like religion where it's like, there's like a weird personal relationship between the creator or person minting and the collector and the person minting on the, that side, uh, the demand side, like to your point, you might ask a thousand creators and collectors why they're minting and get a thousand different answers. And that's because the, the medium is creating or evoking a personal relationship with the experience. And like that, is something that you only really find in sort of religions or philosophies, if you will. Um, 
And so I think this is kind of similar where it's like, we might not ever figure out this why, or like there might, to your point, be a multitude of whys. Um, and my why might be different than your why. But the important thing is like learning how these things work, how they benefit creators, how they can benefit you individually. Like I often find when I tell people about protocol rewards, people who have never minted anything in their life, people who don't even like crypto are like, shit, I got some essays or I got some photos. <laughs> <laughs> Like people start going in their their archives like and actually trying to find things to put on chain as a way to help them capture more value and earn more money or whatever right and so um yeah i think there's going to be a million different reasons why and that's because the relationship is so personal uh and then for other people too like one thing that i didn't mention earlier in the sort of mint as a medium uh, jack butcher talks a lot about like ethereum as a medium um and I think the most important thing is like, it is also, it's a medium of expression, right? And like, I think that you can express things on chain that you might not be able to express in other domains. Uh, you know, if I'm trying to feed the TikTok algorithm, it's a little different. You know, if I'm trying to feed the YouTube algorithm, it's a little different. Whereas this feels like uncharted territory where there's no like algorithm or thing to feed as much. I'm just kind of like, expressing myself to the public and if it resonates in this medium then there's also an opportunity for a collector to express their like or express their alignment in the form of minting and collecting and so like even slightly higher order than just being able to make money off the rewards it's like new platforms um new networks new protocols offer new opportunities and mediums of expression and I think that's something that's refreshing to a lot of people in this space when you feel like otherwise your expression has to be typecasted into whatever the Twitter lingo is like, oh, wow, when I'm on chain, I can actually just freely express in like uh, not full blown radical sense, but like <laughs> uh, just like unencumbered way, um, which I like. I, I feel like that's that's like an undercurrent that feels super valuable to bringing your work on chain as I think people are now writing posting, sharing, and um, putting out work that they might not have felt safe, comfortable, or secure to put out on other platforms. Totally. I think something that's interesting there is that platforms are really heavy on context, um, mm -hmm. where you know, this was the whole weird thing about threads and Twitter. Everyone was like, whoa, the context is totally different on threads, but it's the same yeah. medium and this is totally fucked and I'm not going to post here when yeah. I post on Twitter because that's weird. Um, yeah. So platforms are very heavy on context. Protocols are, are actually very light on context where, you know, yeah. you're, you, you can push a mint to your audience anywhere and it's totally, there's, there's a lack of like, sort of contextual obligation around it that just mm. frees you of expectation, I think, in a lot of ways, um, yeah. which is kind of interesting because part of it, I think, is building context around this stuff. Like part of what I think evolves over time that, again, you can't top down, define or guess, but that will ultimately, I'd imagine, um, unfold is some sort of like contextualizing stuff that's on chain. So like for your yeah. sister, maybe the context is TikTok, maybe it's totally not. And that's fine too. But there's, mm -hmm. there's something interesting there about like defining the context around what you're creating on chain. Totally agree. It's interesting too. Like when you have protocol based tech, like different interfaces or on top of that protocol can also offer different context. Totally. So like the same mint that shows up on Zora.co 
in our context might feel different showing up on mint.fun in their context or on forefront in its context, et cetera. And so you have this cool opportunity of like unbundling the sort of con content creation layer and the context creation layer. Um, where like now all of a sudden, again, like the same piece of media might feel totally different on, uh, you know, Forefront's website than it does on a Zora Mint page um, or on Catalog's website or Sound's website versus a Zora Mint page. Yet it's the same piece of media, you know. I think where we'll start to see a lot of innovation similar to comments is like how much of that context can you build into the piece of media on chain so that the context can travel alongside the piece of media regardless of the interface that it shows up on. You know, today we have people, this is like one of the beauties of minting things like this podcast, right? Or, you know, minting songs or writing. If a writer decides to mint a post on Paragraph, it'll also show up on Zora. It'll also show up on MintFun. It'll also show up on Forefront. And it shows up on these interfaces automatically. You know, it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's really kind of magical how much distribution you get from putting your work on chain, um, you know, assuming it resonates, assuming it can find an audience of people that genuinely like it, like this thing, it'll probably show up on a, a bajillion, one day a bajillion, like right now by like seven <laughs> <laughs> interfaces <laughs> <laughs> um, throughout the space, you know, and like it might show up in marketplace contexts, like on OpenSea, you know, it might show up in reading contexts, like on Paragraph, uh, it might show up in a more social context like Lens or Farcaster. But the cool thing is it by default can show up in all of those different contexts because we've unbundled sort of the content creation side and the, the contextual, contextual side. Um, but I think bringing more of that context into the on-chain object is going to be key so that, I mean, we, we, we tout the sort of uh, uh, durability of on-chain media and on-chain audiences as like one of the biggest value props, right? You know, like if Twitter goes down, you lose all your followers. If Instagram goes down, you lose all your followers. You lose your content, da, 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 da. Like in order for that to be maximally true, we probably need the context around those pieces of media to whatever the minimum viable amount of context is, it also needs to be included in that durable on-chain object in order for that thesis to prove to be entirely true. Otherwise you kind of lose you almost like lose fragments of the content with each platform that uh, sort of falls by the wayside. And so I think over time, we'll start to see more and more of that context show up on chain. Uh, and this is also facilitated by innovations like L2s, et cetera, right? Which just makes it way cheaper for us to do all this stuff. And so now you, we've unlocked a, uh, we've unlocked like a set of opportunities due to lower costs that we just didn't have prior to like this summer. Totally. I mean, and I guess the one other interesting thing, which is kind of a roundabout thought, but um, I've always kind of thought that Web 2 provides distribution and Web 3 provides more sustainable economic models. And so they kind of work together where um, discovery mm -hmm. happens in these like centralized or more centralized places because it to yeah. some degree, I've struggled to figure out how you make that happen in a more decentralized way and like kind of mm -hmm. always thought that why would you need like decentralized discovery? Like, I, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, yeah. I will say as a side note though, I think what a lot of I'm, what, what a lot of the web two sort of discovery mechanisms actually provide to the point that mm -hmm. we were talking about earlier is context. 
Um, which yeah. is to say, like, I go to crypto Twitter because there's context on crypto. Like, the context is just there mm-hmm. already. And so I do mm-hmm. kind of think, I, I wonder if something interesting happens when you have more context on chain where um, curation actually is possible by context in a way that isn't by hand, yes. but instead is like, oh, these are all a bunch of like, th- this is a very bad example, but I will use it because it's so stark. Mm-hmm. These are a bunch of like right leaning Pepe memes. That's the context of what I'm consuming. <laughs> yeah. Can we tag that? <laughs> totally. And like, if that's what you want to consume, I guess, Godspeed type of thing. Um, yeah. Whereas like right now, Twitter's doing that. And by the way, it's significantly less transparent when platforms do it than if you have these like on-chain contexts that you then basically yeah. use for discovery. So I think that's another interesting element of context. Um, yeah. The, the I feel context like that discovery. will definitely happen. Um, one of my favorite discovery mechanisms right now is like Forefront has the sort of filter by community, you know, and like they're sort of providing some of that context, but it's all based on um, Forefront members that collect the additions. So it's like if they hit critical mass of Forefront members on a certain collection, it just automatically gets curated into this list. Um, and I feel like there's probably something, I'm just kind of like brain spilling now. It feels like there's probably something similar where it's like, if we know all of the addresses that are the not so great addresses or, you know, spicy beliefs, and we see a critical mass of them minting a thing, that might be the initial context right there. Totally. Totally. Outside of the artwork, it's like, oh, yo, all the, it's like when all of the DGENs go, you know, hot ball of money type of thing. You know, yes. it's like hot, hot ball of context because like I'm seeing <laughs> all of the ops go to this one edition. And I'm like, yeah, that's not me. Uh, it feels like there's something similar there. Um, and then we found too, just like comments, like uh, currently the way they're constructed or architected, they're more of like events. So they're not super, super easy to build on on chain. But like a lot of people will just comment. Maybe it's like the same thing to like start essentially like creating a map of like, oh, this is all of the shit that I'm effectively tagging with this comment, you know? Totally. And so you can start to see that sort of appear in the comments. Or people will literally be like, fuck a Pepe meme, like in a comment <laughs> of a Pepe meme, <laughs> which, is, which is funny, but like, yeah, I think- Which tells getting, you something about that meme, it. ultimately, you know? Like, it does. It's, have, it's more of a conversation versus a single whatever. Like, the, the, I'm, re- exactly. I'm really excited about this, like, context on chain thing, because I think- it adds so much, again, around if, if people have a million reasons to mint, context adds some of that nuance in a way that I think, you know, mm. without it, it's hard to build an ecosystem that, like, is conducive to people having a bunch of different motivations to mint, basically. Agreed, agreed. And without that context, we kind of just fall into crypto's context. Like, there's actually totally. not different pockets of context underneath the crypto umbrella you just have crypto as the context you know i actually think to the point that we were having or the conversation we were having earlier around like the positive sum economic models monetization financialization etc like if you read adobe actually did a the future of creativity i think it's the name of the study Mm. um at the beginning of this year i'll send you the study it's really worth reading like monetization is like so far down the motivations for creating for creators across the world that it's like, it's actually kind of wild. Like freedom of expression is really like the top one. Um, But like when I think about how this context unlocks, like 
outside of just making the money, I think people want to have this ongoing conversation around these expressions, you know, similar to the Pepe point. And like, we just don't have, or we haven't until today had the means to do any of that on chain. Like I think Warpcast is actually getting the closest to this now, which is like creating the maximum amount of context that you can around media or conversations on chain. Um, it feels like we're just now getting to that place. And I'm starting to see that light up eyes of creators that we have in South America or in Asia and Korea. Like they're all starting to get very excited around the conversations that they're able to have with one another on chain around their pieces of media. Um, which feels like a net new era where it's like totally. not only about crypto's macro context of like everything is money and everything has value, but instead <laughs> it's like these pockets of niche contexts underneath the crypto umbrella where it's like, Hey, maybe at Zora, the economics are a big part of it, but it's actually the expression and conversation that is making it so sticky. You know, whereas like other platforms, maybe it actually is the hyper speculation and whatever that's making it sticky. And so um, wayward thought of saying, I think crypto is entering a new era where we'll have increasingly niche context underneath a larger crypto umbrella. And like that hasn't quite happened before. But I think the Which first is- split happened when we had like, like you kind of have like DeFi and NFTs and like they became two camps. Right. And now I think even within NFTs, you have sort of like speculators versus supporters. Yeah. Right. Like I think that we're starting to see the audiences become increasingly niche and the context that is required for those audiences to engage with one another, um, reflecting just how niche it is. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, and like importantly, there are so many people, my friends included, where like if I use crypto words with my friends, they're like, you are such a dork. Stop, please. Yeah, <laughs> and so yeah. like context is also so intricately linked with culture so where yeah. people don't want to exist in cultures that they think are not aligned with who they are and what mm-hmm. they value. And so um, it, I think it's such a necessity for additional contexts to be built yes. around these things because frankly, a lot of people have no interest and are actually really probably against dropping into what is currently or what was yes. previously the the culture of crypto. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and I think Zora has done a very good job building a lot of, a lot of this, like building out this niche um, specific like culture with. I feel like crypto. until, yeah, I really appreciate that. I feel like until this year, maybe like last summer, not 2023 summer, 2022 summer, you actually didn't even see that many faces Yes, it was totally. It was mostly like, <laughs> just random pictures of animals and people were like yeah. shitposting about huge traits. <laughs> like you just didn't see humans. Yeah. You know, and like it's very difficult for newcomers to see themselves in a place or in a space where they don't see people. Like that's like the language barrier was damn near that of going to a new country. The like the visual barrier of not being able, I mean, I experienced this as like a, a, a black man, like a minority in the US. If I walk into a room that's very homogenous and it's not leaning my direction, even I'll be a bit like, ooh, this is different. You know, I would imagine you feel the same as a woman walking into a room full of men, right? Like it's just like, oh, this is different. I think normies probably felt that way walking into crypto. Where they were like, 
ooh, <laughs> I don't know if I belong yeah. here, you know? Like, um, and so I think starting to rebrand crypto with a much more positive, people-forward, people-centric, human faces, um, you know, front-facing appeal, it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. It demystifies so much of it. And then it, you, you hear people talking like you. You see people that um, are making things that resonate with you that you also want to make or express. Like, that's magnetic. There's like an attractive property there where like, I want to come, I want to be there, you know? I think we saw the same thing happen with, it's kind of crazy. Like TikTok just wasn't that big five years ago. Yeah. Know, like at all. Like I remember my sister coming into my, this is during the pandemic. We had just founded Zora. She came into the kitchen. I was at my mom's house stuck. <laughs> she comes into the kitchen and she's like, I'm going to be TikTok famous. And I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> like it was like, it, that's not that long ago. It was like 20, yeah. again, 2020. So like three years ago. You could just decide you were going to be be TikTok famous and do it, right? Um, but she was attracted to all of her friends that had found success there who said it was super easy. She saw people who were saying things that you might not be able to say the same way on Twitter. Like She just saw like the medium of expression as something that she could express herself in and was like, oh, I want to go there. You know, I don't think people have seen that in crypto until... NFTs kind of like scratch the surface, like punks and 10K PFPs. But I think now that we have like actual content and media and like it, even just not just art, like actual content, like yeah. more of the world can see themselves engaging on chain, you know, because like not that many people in the world are like visual artists. <laughs> yes. Also, importantly, <laughs> not that many people in the world are like, I want to make money off of I want to make money off of this. Like to your point around, you know, exactly. there's really making money is so towards the end. And I think part of what feels important about this entire thing is to your point, um, building economic models that make this stuff sustainable, but not putting that at the forefront. Um, Bingo. And that I think is just going to be massive for the types of people who we actually want in this the money making side should feel magical. Totally. Totally. Like, it's and like, like a, a byproduct. Oh shit, I didn't know I made this. Exactly. Yeah. A byproduct of a thing that you already do or a thing that you can now do in a freer way, right? Like, oh shit, I just got to express my, you know, what I was feeling today in a meme and that meme made me an ETH. <clears throat> Crazy, right? Or even that, that meme made me $100, right? Totally. Like, yes. That's, for some people, that's like half their rent, which is insane. Definitely not New Yorkers, but like, <laughs> that's crazy yeah. um and so i think just having it sort of embedded in the background is huge totally um well d this was such a fun conversation where can people yeah, and of course great. there's an exciting announcement that i'll have probably at the beginning of this episode um oh, but <laughs> where can people learn more about you zora i'm sure i feel like most people who listen to the pod are very familiar with zora but just in case plug it all yeah you can check us out at zora.co um, if you go to Zora.co slash about, you can get a quick preview of the history of Zora, which I ran through earlier on this episode. Uh, you can find us on Twitter as well at our O-U-R Zora, Z-O-R-A. Uh, and then you can find me on Twitter at DG, literally just the letters, underscore Goins, G-O-E-N-S. Um, happy to find all of you beautiful people on the internet. Beautiful. Thank you so much, D. Yeah, no doubt. Thanks, Chase. It was great.